It is just marvelous to read the Bible and to see the wonderful structure in the Bible because when I read this and I study this, I once again stand before the wonderful truth about the fact that God inspired the writers of the of the Bible to reveal the splendor of the person of himself to whom be the glory forever. Now, if you want to keep the Bible open, you'll, uh, you'll find that in the previous verses, or the verses preceding this chapter, chapter 2 of Philippians, then, uh, and, and also keep in mind, of course, that the division of the Bible and verses in chapters uh, was not part of the original text. Then you understand that the, the thought really flows through. We should not allow the Bible chapters to uh, to uh, uh, create the idea with us that every chapter has got a new idea in it. Chapters and verses are added just there for us to find a place quite easily when we have to go and, and find it. Uh, but the thought runs through. The thought runs through. So let's just pick it up at the at the uh, uh, verse twenty seven of chapter one. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Now these words, whatever happens. Whatever happens. Why, why, why does he say that? What, is this clause, what does it mean? It is not just like in every event. It's not necessarily what he says this. The, the whole book up till now talks about Paul being in chains for the gospel. He, he says, I'm contending for the faith. So whatever happens is a word or an expression to prepare them for the fact that they have to prepare to be in battle for the sake of the gospel. You see, that, that changes it. It's not like in every event. It is, keep in mind, he says, keep in mind that you and I are in a battle for the for the gospel, he says in in, in chapter one verse seven, for what, uh, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He spurs them on to live a life worthy of the gospel. With these words, stand firm. Then, and that's in the next verse, uh, chapter one twenty seven twenty eight. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is the language of a church that is engaged in some form of a battle. And now he says, conduct yourselves in a way as people who are now facing a battle. 
contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way of those who oppose you. You see, there's opposition and there's the church. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but you will be saved and that by God. That is a marvelous statement for the church. This is a sign to them who oppose you that they will be destroyed by God. But you will be saved. They were prepared for this battle because they saw how Paul himself suffered. How he was persecuted and ended up in prison with chains for the gospel. And now the apostle Paul says to them in verse 28 and, uh, 29 and 30 of the previous chapter. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him since you have going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's no doubt in the mind of the Apostle Paul that he has to spur people on, on to fight, to contend, to be in this battle for the sake of the gospel. I sometimes wonder what we think about this verse. Can I read that again? Verse 29... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. And we'd like to put a full stop there. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's good to believe in Jesus because he gives me eternal life. Let's read the rest of the verse. But also to suffer for him. And the word there is granted. Granted is a gift. It's a gift. It's not like... This might happen to you, and when it comes to you, moan and groan about it, because the, the rest there's a verse in this chapter where it says, do it, do it without moaning and groaning. See it as a gift. When, 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 when we, we uh, are exposed to the forces of darkness in this world, we will come to that, for the sake of the gospel, and we suffer for the sake of the gospel, consider that, as something that God has granted us for the sake of Jesus. So, so I think the apostle is really open here, very, very. He's not sort of uh, beating around the bush. He says, keep in mind, you are in a battle. The members of the church are then, so it seems, pictured as a, an army of soldiers preparing themselves for battle. Paul then writes in chapter 1 uh, verse 9 uh, that, he, that they would be able to discern what's best. It's like, like an army going out for battle and what you do is you sit down you work it out and you, you take the best strategy. And as a group of soldiers they need to be ready in more than one way not only to defend the gospel but also to have victory under the gospel. To help them to be able to be victorious in this task, Paul turns the focus on what they have in Christ, in the Spirit. And this is where we start our study of this chapter now. Chapter 2. First of all, he says, you have union with Christ and the Holy Spirit. First thing is then, they have been encouraged by their union with Christ. Therefore, 
that that structure there in in, in, in Philippians chapter two verse one, if there is encouragement. It's a way in which he constructs a Greek construction and if you would translate that not as as literally as it says there, it says now that you have encouragement it's not if in that sense that it's conditional it is it's making a statement you are encouraged and and further on he says and, and, and now that you have the the fellowship of the spirit and that you have compassion these are statements of of certainty to understand the reason why they would be encouraged to do the job of being on the battlefield with Christ and for Christ, we need to take it back to the first chapter, verse 6. I'm confident of this, Paul says, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God began the good work of salvation in us, but he will not leave us halfway through the battle of uh, to finish on our own strength. In, 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 in our whole Christian walk, He walks ahead of us. He's our commander, He's our chief, He's our conqueror, He's our head. He will finish the work that He has begun. And that till the day of Jesus Christ. Not till two days before, till the day of Jesus Christ. He will continue and finish our redemption and our service in Him till the return of Christ. When we will be taken up in glory and be with Him and see the fruit of His cross and resurrection. And then, there our union will be complete. But in the meantime, we enjoy that union now. And that gives us encouragement. That gives us encouragement. Our general our commander is with us. You go into this battle, don't guess about who your commander is. Don't guess that he might not notice the strategy. He knows it. As a matter of fact, he actually has been the victor already. That gives us encouragement. Now, they, they have comfort from God's love. The Bible is the book of God's love. We need to understand that the term, the love of God, is never an expression of emotion. Does it come as a shock to you? When we say, I love you, what do we say? I, I, I moved somewhere in my heart and, and, and I've got some emotion for you. And, 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 and that's about all we can say. I mean, we, we try to show it in ways. But, th but that's about it. But when God says He loves us, you know what? His words become actions. God's love is never just an expression of an emotion. It is a way of stating what He does. Can I just take you to that verse you and I know very well? John 3.16 What does it say? God loved us full stop he loved us how did he show his love to us he gave his only begotten son to us that's love you go to first john and, and read reads about that in chapter 4 and he said this is love 
What's that? God gave us his son. That's, that's how it works. God's love is never just a verbal statement. It's an action in the form of salvation. And this verse spells it out. He gave, he gave us his only begotten son. But this verse gives us the essence of what gives us comfort in our battle is part of the army of God. Even if we have to suffer for him. What does it say? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Full stop. No. It carries on. What does it say? So that those who ever believe in him will never perish. You see? That's the comfort you and I have out of the love of God. We we are engaged in this battle and, and we are told that, that God loves us. Now how do I know God loves me? Well, look at the cross of Jesus. What does that mean? That means that you will not perish. When I read that book of, uh, of uh, 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 J.C. Ryle not so long ago, on um, uh, holiness there's a chapter in it which I think is, is, is a marvelous chapter and he writes about uh, the, the army of God he said we are called into the army of God and one of the statements he makes there is this he said never in any one of the battles that the church has been involved in did the Lord call his soldiers where there was no victory and where anyone of the soldiers was lost never God takes us and he takes us into victory if we have to lose our lives now the apostle Paul writes once again in this book that we just read now this letter said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain we never lost you might lose your life but you win eternal life that's good that's good and that gives us the comfort that gives us the comfort without being frightened Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 128 without being frightened anyway by those who oppose you because this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but you will be saved and that by God that's your comfort that's my comfort it was the comfort of many souls who died on the stake and I just want to recall one of them Polycarp of Smyrna he was the bishop of the church in Smyrna that we read about in the seven churches in Revelation he, an old man of about 90, was led to the stake. The soldier in charge said to him, Have respect unto thine age and other things like these, and swear by the fortunes of Caesar. Repent. Now, repent means that repent away from your Christian faith. That's what it means. Um, and say, Away with the atheists. Now, which means away with the Christians. It all depends on which side of it you stand, isn't it? And, and Polycarp then, when he looked with a grave face at all the multitude of the law, lawless heathen in the area, 
arena, having beckoned them with his hand, sighed and looked unto heaven and said, what did he say? I love this, I love this verse. I love this. It says, away with the atheists. <laughs> In a true sense. Away with the atheists. And they, of course, understood that he was just um, being sarcastic. Um, they pressed on him again, swear, and I will release their scorn, Christ. And then these famous words of Polycarp. Eighty and six years I have served him, and in nothing has he wronged me. How now then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and is soon quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of the judgment to come and of the eternal punishment reserved for the wicked. But why do you delay? Bring whatever you wish. And when he was tied to the stake, facing a sure death, for the sake of his love for the Lord who loved him, he prayed, I thank thee that thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour, that I should have my portion in the number of the martyrs, in the cup of thy Christ, unto the resurrection of eternal life, both, both of soul and body, in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit, among these I have I received among these may I be received before thee at this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, even as thou hast prepared and made manifest beforehand, and hast fulfilled thou art the unerring and true God. They lit the fire and they heard him sing hymns of praise he was comforted by the love of God well there's the fellowship of the spirit the apostle is clear about the work of the spirit he testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children then co-heirs with Christ we need to keep this in mind when it seems as if this earth on this earth we face the loss of what others might think of something worthwhile. The Spirit lives within us. He guides us. And we are the temples of the Spirit. But more than that, Christ himself declared, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to, uh, to on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And now he says the Holy Spirit lives in uh, within you. He dwells within you. He gives you the power. And you will be the witnesses of God. You are heirs of the kingdom, co-heirs of Christ. That's what the Spirit does in us that's his fellowship with us so when we engage into this battle that's what the spirit constantly tells us you've got a kingdom that cannot fade in heaven hang on to that and he also says be the witnesses of of jesus and that is what we are and with that it is something 
that uh, Paul refers to when he says we have fellowship of God. He is with us. And let's add to that the promise of our Lord Jesus who declared all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always till the end of the age. Now the Spirit is in us. Jesus is with us. And God the Father who started the salvation, the work of salvation in us, will complete it till the last day. So what do we have? We have God the, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who declares to us in this battle, don't give up. I am with you. So that is what it means to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, this spurs on the affection and the concern for our fellow soldiers. Keep the union of Christ in mind. We are united with Christ to share His righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness, kept till the day of Jesus. And then keep in mind the cross, the love of Christ. God loves us so much that He gave us His Son that we will never perish if we, keep, if we believe. Keep in mind the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He is with us to guide us, protect us, prepare us till the day of Christ. Keep these things in mind. And what is logic then for the Christian is he understands the love of Christ and he's concerned for the body of